Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. It's a really vibrant industry, the investment platform industry. There's lots of them, so you've got lots of choice. The challenge for you as a consumer is finding out which is the best to use for your purposes and your needs. People who are investing for the first time over the last few months probably feel like they're part of a community, maybe in ways that you wouldn't really have seen before with with people who invested in, in shares. Younger generations have grown up on apps like Twitter, Instagram and TikTok and they're less accepting of clunky experiences that you might have had with older trading platforms. This week, we're taking a deep dive into DIY investing. Along with which money regulars, Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw will be revealing the best investment platforms as rated by customers and discussing everything you need to know about how they work and what you need to be looking out for. We are which. While the pandemic has undoubtedly disrupted many people's finances, the past year has also seen a huge spike in the nation's personal savings. A government agency, the Office for Budget Responsibility, has estimated that households will have an extra $180 billion in savings by the middle of this year. Now, obviously, we've been in and out of national lockdowns and we've had fewer places to spend any disposable income. But for any spare cash you might have, saving account interest rates have, of course, been painfully low. So Jenny, to what extent have savers been turning to investments to try and make the most of their savings? Well, you just have to look at the amount of money held in investment funds to see a pretty clear shift from May 2020, so early on in the pandemic to May this year, that amount has jumped from 1.2 trillion to 1.5 trillion. Mm. You know, when you look at um, trading volumes and new customer registrations on investment platforms as well, that tells a very similar story. They have absolutely rocketed in the past year. Just to throw some num- numbers at you, AJ Bell, you invest saw a 30% increase in customers throughout 2020. Um, And interestingly, almost a third of those were uh, were under the age of 30. And we'll we'll get on to that particular trend a little bit later, I know. Investment giant Hargoose Lansdowne um, reported 58% more signups. Incredibly, in in the year to uh, March this year, Vanguard saw a rise of 130%. That said, uh, there will also be plenty of so-called accidental savers out there who are still keeping their money in cash savings accounts, paying next to nothing, or in some cases, actually nothing. I think it's it's more than £200 billion pounds now um, is held in accounts that pay zero interest, which 
is still kind of unforgivable. Yes, rates are at record lows, but the, that doesn't just mean that your money is is staying still. Like it, it, it could actually be, well, it will actually be losing value because of the horrible erosive power of um, of inflation. If you need easy access to the to that money, um, any money that you've built up uh, as a result of of pandemic, then. Yes, keeping it in cash will be your best option, but make sure you you do try to find the best possible rate for it. On the other hand, if you know, if you can put that money away for the longer term, so we're talking at least five years here, it really is worth thinking about um, making the leap and investing in the stock market. And I've got a comparison for you that will make a pretty powerful case. So figures from from AJ Bell show that. Over the last 10 years, the average cash ISA has turned uh, an initial £10,000 deposit into £9,772. So yes, that has gone backwards. And that's because um, of what I mentioned before, that's the, the power of inflation. You've actually lost money in real terms over that period. But in contrast, if you had invested the same amount in the global stock market, over um, the last decade, that 10 grand would now be worth £20,760 after adjusting for inflation. So the contrast is stark, like the simple message is over the long term, investing will will mean that you've got far more potential for, for growth compared to keeping your money in cash. And with this surge in trading, as you've already mentioned, Jenny, the rise in the number of younger people getting involved is really interesting. In June last year, money comparison site Finder carried out some research that found Gen Z and millennials were 66% more likely than baby boomers to invest in the 12 months that followed. And we've been speaking to Charlie Barton from Finder about why there might have been such a surge in young investors. So at Finder, we surveyed a representative sample of the UK population. So it's around 2000 adults in June 2020. Our reason for doing this was we wanted to see if there'd been a change in the UK's attitudes towards investing after the March 2020 crash. So we found that young people are getting involved in investing because they are seeing more accessible apps entering the market. um, And that's making them feel more comfortable with getting involved. Younger generations have grown up on apps like Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, and they're less accepting of clunky experiences that you might have had with older trading platforms. So it makes sense that the industry is developing to meet younger people's needs and that younger people are interested now. So these apps, which are types of investment platform, we could say they're making investing more attractive and the whole process slicker and easier. And as someone who started investing in this way last year, I actually would agree with that. You know, contrary to the idea that maybe investing is reserved for men in suits in the city, um, I can log into an app and check on my investments any time of day, usually actually first thing in the morning in my pajamas with a coffee. But there is, of course, a bit more to it than that. Um, And before we get into the leading platforms and how they compare, Gareth, how would you describe an investment platform? And what does it mean to be a DIY investor? I'll take your second question first, Lucia. In the industry, Going it alone, doing it yourself is referred to execution only. That means that you're not taking financial advice uh, and therefore no company has a liability to you for 
the the choices that you make. You make your own choices on investments. You and 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 what a platform does, it's essentially a trade a, a piece of trading software that that gives you access to the universe of investments that are out there. That could be collective funds where you pull your man your money in with loads of other investors to buy units in a fund. And then the manager will take that money and go and buy shares. They might buy bonds. They might invest in direct property. They might invest in commodities. Uh, and you will make money by growth in that unit price. You can also lose money by a reduction in that unit price. Um, that's funds. You could buy shares through a platform. You could sometimes you can buy bonds, you know, directly. You you often need quite a bit of money. Um, and then they'll they'll offer other types of services like you could open up a stocks and shares ISA. You could open up a junior ISA. You know, you've got this kind of pick and mix of accounts and then thousands upon thousands upon thousands of investment choices nestled within uh, those accounts. So, that, that, you know, the broadest platforms will offer you a general investment account, the opportunity to trade shares, a stocks and shares ISA, um, you know, a junior ISA, a self-invested personal pension, the opportunity to buy an annuity, maybe the opportunity to go into drawdown. And some of these platforms have lots of bells and whistles. So they might publish information about the stock market to help you make your decisions and commentary on what different companies are doing and their results. Or um, they might offer fund uh, tips, basically, you know, best buy, what they call best buy lists. They're not without controversy. Um, you know, so they've been found to be recommending funds that have really underperformed. And, and lots of investment platforms are either stopping doing that or really stripping their best buy lists back. They may offer tools and calculators. You'll have a one to one phone line and you'll pay a premium for those kinds of services. The others are, are really kind of no frills. You want to trade. You know what you're doing. You don't need to speak to a human being all that much. You don't want share tips or anything like that. You just want somewhere to trade uh, and, and they'll probably be a bit cheaper. It's a really vibrant industry the investment platform industry there's lots of them so you've got lots of choice the challenge for you as a consumer is finding out which is the best to use for your purposes and your needs so there's an awful lot of choice let's get into some of these investment platforms at which we've reviewed the major players looking at charges as well as the all-important feedback from actual customers so jenny how do the top platforms compare? And I'm really interested to know who did which members vote the best? There were actually two platforms um, this year that achieved the coveted which recommended provider status. And there are quite a few criteria that providers have to meet in order to um, to be considered worthy of, of, of that title. So first of all, the platform must have a customer score of more than 70%. It can't receive any below average scores for any of the um, underlying criteria we look at. So that includes things like online tools and customer service um, and the quality of its uh, investment information. And crucially, it can't be among the three most expensive platforms in our um, in our cost scenario. So we take a really uh, well-rounded view of these platforms, taking into account customer um, customer feedback and costs. And what that tells us this, this year, who we've got at the top of the table are 
Vanguard, which achieved a really impressive customer score of 77%, mm. and AJ Bell U Invest, which scored 72%. So just just a bit of um, of a word on you know what what was driving that that positive feedback. Vanguard was praised for uh, being straightforward efficient. It was the only platform to receive five stars for value for money. And it's true that it, it, its fees really are some of the very, very lowest on the market. It charges 0.15% a year, and that's capped at £375 a year for accounts over £250,000. So it's it's super, super cheap. I mean, there is a bit of a of trade-off going on there that, that, that should be pointed out. And that's that there is a much more limited selection of investments for you to choose from compared to to other platforms. So it only offers a range, I think it's 75 um, of its own investment funds, um, and you don't have access to uh, to other investment assets like like shares. So you've got a smaller um, fund universe to, to choose from, but for a lot of, of customers in our survey, that is a, a trade off that they're more than more than willing to make and are really pleased with the service and, and the low costs that um that are on, that's on offer. AJ Bell, um you've got a much larger range of investments. They've got more than 2,000 funds across 24 stock markets, various other um, types of assets. Customers pointed to um, their easy to navigate website, an excellent range of investment opportunities, nice extensive range of investment information to help them make their decisions. It does cost more than Vanguard, um, but remains cheaper than, than many of its competitors. So you're looking at 0.25% um, on the first £250,000 of funds, then 0.1% on any amount between £250,000 and a million pounds. So those are the highest rated platforms in, in our survey. Um, but just, just a final word on, on making that that decision as to which platform to go for. The cheapest platform for you will depend on how much your portfolio is worth and the type of investing that you want to be doing. So if you have a relatively small portfolio, say up to around £50,000, you'll usually be better off with a platform that charges a percentage-based charge as opposed to a um, fixed-fee platform. They will usually work out cheaper for, for people with a bigger portfolio. But then, you know, if you are looking to be making uh, frequent trades, if you're investing in shares, um also make sure you're considering the charges levied by platforms for buying and selling investments. And bear in mind as well that uh, that any charges applied by the platform, they are separate from the fees that you'll pay to um, to buy and hold the investments themselves within the wrapper. And if you want more information on the best platforms, including how the other major players fared, you can find it in the June issue of the Witch Money magazine and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And now the very nature of these investment platforms is that you're going it alone. You're making decisions for yourself, choosing what you want to invest in, which is great. But even if you're going with a platform like Vanguard, as you mentioned, Jenny, with a relatively small pool of, of options, you do need to get clued up first. And so my question then, um, Gareth, how would you recommend listeners do this? How can you decide what might be a good fund to invest in and when it's a good time to do it? 
That is the ultimate question. I suspect if I knew the perfect answer to that, Lucia, we would not be talking on this podcast. I would be on some kind of beautiful island somewhere sunning myself. (laughs) But you do really need to make an investment of time first to understand the types of products that you're purchasing, what your needs and goals are, which can often be an existential question. You know, yes, you as Jenny was saying at the top, you know, you probably do want to get a better return on your money than cash. But what is your long term plan? You know, if you're going to be investing a few thousand pounds over the next five to 10 years, what do you want that money to do? And that is going to govern, you know, the pool of um, the universe of funds that you might need to look at in order to meet those goals. Because if you are trying to grow your money by say seven, eight percent a year because you need to hit a certain target in five or years, five or ten years time, seven or eight percent is possible, but you have to take on a lot of risk. And therefore, if you are comfortable with that, then you're going to be needing to look at equities, for example. That is, you know, the the industry term for shares. And not only are you going to need to be looking at equities, you're going to be looking need to look at equities in riskier markets, such as what they call the emerging markets. That's places like China and India and Brazil and you know Russia, the BRICS they're often referred to, because those markets are inherently riskier, but they have the greatest potential for stratospheric growth in their share prices. So you need to understand it's often referred to as a kind of risk ladder. So what are the different assets that are out there from cash all the way up to, say, emerging market equities? And how much how much risk would you be taking on? And and um, how comfortable are you with that? Because the other side of the coin is your attitude to risk and your capacity for loss. The other th- critical thing here is something called diversification. And this is basically not putting all of your eggs into one pot. If you have your money spread across not just um, different company shares, which a fund will do, it will buy shares in lots of different companies, but also across different sectors and then in different assets, what you're doing is you're spreading your risk. So if the Chinese market or the emerging markets drop dramatically in value, but you've got your money spread across that, across the UK stock markets, across the European stock markets, and they don't drop in value then you're cushioning some of your losses. If you invest your money in bonds, such as corporate bonds and government bonds, that's basically you lending money to companies and government and then paying you interest in return. They tend to move in the opposite direction to shares. So if if your portfolio of shares are falling in value, your bonds will rise, again, cushioning any losses that you make. And then property is a kind of independent asset. So it moves independently of shares and bonds. They're not correlated with each other. So if you put that in, it's a natural diversifier for your portfolio because it will it will run its course up and down as it goes. But it won't move in reaction to um, uh, bonds and shares. I can already anticipate angry reviewers saying, but what about 2008? You're right. The property market crashed. And the stock market crashed, uh, and the uh, you know all in one go, they were correlated because at the root of a lot of the problems were a, a really pumped up property market. But that really is a black swan event, and in normal times, you will see that property is un 
correlated to equities. I'm conscious I've talked about a lot of jargon there and quite a lot of kind of complex themes. And this is why it's so important to educate yourself about investing before you take that leap, because you need to be armed with a sense of purpose. What am I investing for? What is my target? And that's really going to help. That's going to be the building block to get you to, well, where should I be investing? And Gareth, if a listener wants to put in some time and get researching, can you give some pointers, some websites or publications that might be a good place to start? Well, I would always start with which.co.uk forward slash investing. Of course. <laughs> what, what we do on our website and also in Which Money magazine, which Jenny edits, uh, which is fantastic for this, is we we take these investment concepts and we really break them down. We put them in plain English. We give worked examples all the way through so people can really understand conceptually what are the products that I might encounter. You know, in the case of investment platforms, we do research that no other uh, organizations do to really help you understand which platforms are going to give you great service for great value. Um, you know, we, we don't do that lightly. We go the extra mile. So I think that's a really good starting point. Some of the investment platforms have excellent um, information about investing, about how different markets are working. Um, there's the money advice, uh, formerly the money advice service now, now called Money Money Helper, I believe. Um, which is just launched, uh, which has information again on the basics of investing, and you will find, you know, there are um, there are good blogs out there as well. Monovator is one of them I've always liked to read. It's a quite a um, balanced, dispassionate, but really honest uh, look at how different markets are working. It tends to have a bit of an emphasis on um, index funds or stock uh, stock market tracker funds. I think the newspapers are quite good as well. You know, the FT is fantastic, particularly their, their money section. Um, so that there is a variety of mainstream information out there. And I put the emphasis on mainstream because you could get sucked down some really weird holes online and on YouTube to extolling the virtues of obscure assets that you don't really understand about, you know, risky trading, cryptocurrencies, all of that kind of stuff. If you're a beginner investor, dip your toe into the stock market, which is regulated and has a huge amount of oversight. And there are legitimate firms that aren't going to rip you off that can give you access to, to the stock market really cheaply and really easily. I can't say to anybody listening to this, if if you fancy a dip on cryptocurrency, be it, do it. But I, all I would say is it's a gamble that it's rife with scams. We hear from people every single day. Um, and if you don't understand it, why on earth would you invest in it? That's my personal view. Uh, so um, but yes, there's plenty of information out there for people. 
Some really handy tips there, Gareth. I'll take a look at that blog you mentioned. Now, obviously, risk comes with all investing, but it does feel kind of amplified with DIY investing, as there's the worry that you might make an uninformed decision. You probably remember one of the biggest investment stories this year when GameStop's share prices made headlines around the world. Some say this was largely due to the forum site Reddit creating hysteria around the stock and a mass of amateur investors getting involved. Markets gone wild. GameStop up another 130% today. It's like the villagers storming the castle. (laughs) Watching the little guy beat the big guy. The little guy. Ordinary folks like you and me who decided to stick it to the big guy. Wall Street traders who were betting that the US retailer GameStop was about to fold. The traders had borrowed millions of dollars worth of GameStop shares and sold them, betting the price would fall so they could buy the shares back and pocket the difference. But when an amateur investor on the online message board Reddit noticed, he urged others to pile in, to buy GameStop shares, make the price rise and leave the hedge funds nursing massive losses. That was a Channel 4 news piece from January there. Now, six months on, many of those investors have actually lost much of their investment. And we've been speaking with Guardian journalist Joanna Partridge for the latest on the story. You basically had two tribes of people battling it out. You had a lot of younger, more savvy, uh, uh, social media savvy retail investors versus some of the big uh, hedge funds and investment firms on Wall Street And that saw the share price rise from under $20 a share in early January to a high of almost $483 in a really short period of time. Since then, really, the share price has bounced about quite a bit. It's not trading at anything like those those high levels. Most investors know that share prices and all kinds of values can go up and down. And I guess if people decided to buy the shares uh, when they were reaching those real highs of over $480, uh, and now it's down to 200, they will have lost money. And that's why I guess investors always have to be cautious as well, that it's all very well for people who bought shares at $4 ago uh, at the very start of the year, but those who invested later on uh, are likely to have seen losses. And we asked Joanna if she thinks this kind of retail investment is here to stay. People have got a taste for it. They're all communicating with each other. So people who are investing for the first time over the last few months probably feel like they're part of a community, maybe in ways that you wouldn't really have seen before with with people who invested in, in shares. You know, I think it's great that we have this new community of investors and the industry is opening up. But this GameStop story really does show the risk involved with investing, Jenny, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah, it can definitely be seen as a bit of a a cautionary tale. Um, But I've got to say, I also think it is fantastic that this has helped to put investing on the map and shown that it's it's not the preserve of of just men in suits in glass buildings, as as you said, Lucia, Um, because all too often people assume investing is just too baffling or too closed a world for them and they they don't belong there. Um, But with with returns on cash at such record lows, it's so important that um, that people have the confidence to to venture beyond um, savings accounts if they you know if they can afford to take a degree of risk. Of course, there is some cause for concern when you 
look at the approach of newer investors and younger investors in particular really seem to be um, diving in at the deep end and and being drawn to the more speculative end of investing like uh, like day trading and cryptocurrencies as, as Gareth has mentioned and that is furthest possible end of the the, the risk spectrum that you could that you, that you could aim for and quite often they're rationale for doing that it might not be that sound they might have you know had a tip off from I mean TikTok of all places like this not coming from a particularly informed position not that I want to cast dispersion on on younger investors I think it's fantastic that um that more people are getting involved Mm. Uh, in fact I've got you know my my very own um insight into that world um uh, my my youngest brother, uh, who is 21, is now, it's bizarre, he's now giving me regular updates about his new trading account. Uh, when he turned 21, his request for presents was actually um, a request for a bit of cash to put into, the, to, you know, for him to invest. Brilliant. Uh, I know, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, really. And I know that he spends a lot of time, um, like, discussing tips with his mates and scouring Reddit forums, which I, I just think it's extraordinary. Uh, when I was at uni, I don't think the word investment even came up in conversations with friends once. It was not in any way on my on my agenda. Um, so I think that that's hammered to home hammered home to me that there is something of a revolution afoot in investing. You know, I've, I've got to say, Charlie's approach, uh, my brother, is not necessarily the one that I would recommend. I have given him my uh, sound advice, um, but. It, what I'm reassured by is that you know, he says that he doesn't see his new trading account as a get rich quick scheme and he's going in with his eyes open. He knows that that money is at risk, not that he has a huge amount in there, it has to be, uh, has to be said. So, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's just really vital that investors, whatever your age, whatever your experience, you are clear on the risks and you are realistic about expected returns. Um, you know, Plowing your rainy day fund into the latest social media hype stock or a tip that you've seen on TikTok or YouTube is clearly not a sound strategy. And you could be opening yourself up to all sorts of um, scams in the process. So it's 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 really important to go back to, to Gareth's pointers about, you know, looking for mainstream advice from trusted sources, taking your time and making it making a, an informed decision. But hopefully, you know, the combination of like higher levels of savings as a result of the pandemic and all of the discussion that that GameStop has has generated will serve as a bit of a a catalyst for more of us to think about how investing in the stock market could help us to uh, achieve our long term financial goals and not um, not be beholden to the terrible rates uh, on cash savings at the moment. And to end and build on everything you've said there, Jenny, Gareth. Would you add any tips for investing well, but carefully and, of course, minimising risk? I really think sticking to the principles I was talking about earlier, find out about the risk ladder. What are the least risky to the most risky? And when I say risky, I mean volatile, have a capacity to move dramatically in price Uh, and then see how those assets then fit in with your own attitude to risk and capacity to loss. And I would say, you know, you mentioned the word carefully, you could say cautiously. There are investments out there that label themselves as cautious, but don't think, don't be uh, confused that this means that you won't lose money. 
often they are cautious on a certain asset, i.e. shares. So you'll have less shares in them, but you still will have shares in there. Uh, and you can still lose money with bonds and, and other uh, less volatile assets. So you really do need to um, find the right home for your savings with a company that gives you the services that you need, that you can trust and gives you the level of support that you think you need. You need to figure out your long term goals and what you want your money to do. Understand the range of investment options that you have out there. And then make sure you're designing a diverse portfolio that helps you meet those needs without keeping you up at night. Huge thanks to Jenny and Gareth. It's brilliant talking to you both today. And thank you for listening to today's show. As always, if you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Which Money. And for more money news and advice, visit which.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded by Ian Aikman, edited and produced by Rob Lilly with additional support from Kim Carver. Mm-hmm.